Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Business Growth Show, where we talk about all components of business and how to utilize them for exponential growth. My name is Nathan Cassiotis. I'm a serial entrepreneur, international speaker, results strategist, business coach, mentor, and consultant. Today, I have an awesome guest. He is an entrepreneur, speaker, coach, mentor, and NLP trainer. He creates world-class full-time coaches through NLP trainings by helping people help people. Welcome, Tony Kay, and thank you for being on my show. Ethan, dude, thank you so much for having me here. I'm uh, stoked to uh, impart a bit of knowledge, learn a little bit about you, and uh, definitely help and serve your audience. It's going to be an amazing time together. Definitely, mate. It's going to be amazing. So much value. I'm sure everyone's going to get out of today for the watchers and listeners. So you're a very successful entrepreneur. So for those people who don't know who you are, please introduce yourself by telling us about you and your story. Oh, gosh. What a question. Uh, well, let's let's get vulnerable early. And I trust that this is okay with your, your listeners and your watchers as well. Uh, so uh, I'll give you a little context. For me, I probably don't have your traditional schooling. I'm a year 10 graduate, which is just a nice way of saying I'll drop out of year 10. Uh, things didn't really suit me quite well. Uh, business world did suit me, however. I picked up like a, a baking apprenticeship when I was uh, 15, 16 years old. And I bought my first bakery business when I was 20 years old. Uh, then that next decade, or you know, my whole 20s into my early 30s, I ran business, I ran bakeries, I ran businesses, um, uh, a maximum of three. Uh, and at my height, I had uh, three bakeries, uh, 56 staff, and we were doing just shy of $4 million in sales. And um, that was sort of my introduction, if you will, into, into NLP, into leadership, understanding psychology, understanding how people work, why they work, and really what really gets them going. So that's a, that's a little about me. Um, I started the coaching business when I was 27, 28. I started out just business coaching. You know, uh, I used to call it friend touring. Uh, I'm sure some of your guys will relate to that. You sort of just have nice conversations with friends because I started a business so young. A lot of the time when my friends came to getting in the business, they went through uni or they did their trade or they did whatever. I'd already been in business for five, six years. So it just, I became the obvious choice to come and speak to about their, their problems and uh, all their, their queries about how to get started. So I did that. And uh, what I noticed was during my life coaching days and then into my business coaching days where I help businesses, you know, get past multiple six and even into seven figures. Uh, what I noticed was it was just mindset. It was the story that we were telling ourselves or these people were telling themselves that was really holding them back. And I don't know about you, man, but like once you realize that, hey, it's mindset, it's the projections that you're putting out into the world, it's actually you are at the scene of every crime in your life, then how do you go about fixing that? How do you go about making sure that in the future, uh, the scenes that you are in and the movie and the pictures that you're creating for yourselves are ones that are going to empower you and help you be the best version of you? And of course, that's what got me into, into NLP. Uh, that's what got me into uh, uh, helping coaches become full-time coaches and really live out their dream. And um, that's what I've been doing for the last two, two, three years now where we've established ourselves as the number one NLP training company in Australia. And um, look, I know that COVID has been a terrible time for a lot of people, but for us, we had to pivot online and uh, now we are being recognized globally. And we've got international students that come and do the five-day NLP practitioner training virtual. So it's, um, it's a growing business, mate. It's really, I'm really enjoying it. Awesome, mate. Such an awesome story there. And um, yeah, really great to put into a lot of context about where we've come from. And yeah, you've got so much experience from when you started young. And um, yeah, I've, I've done um, NLP trainings with you and they are amazing and, and the way that you present yourself and, and obviously having a lot of people from around there. So today we're going to, you know, go really deep at NLP, right? As much as deep as we can, because I know there's five day trainings, there's 11, 12 day trainings and stuff. So, you know, we can't go that deep in an hour, but we'll go as deep as we can um, in the time that we have. So Obviously, for those people who don't know, NLP stands for Neuro, Neuro Linguistic Programming. So um, tell us more about what NLP is. Yeah, sure. You've, you've nailed it there. So NLP, it does stand for Neuro. So think of the, the N in Neuro Linguistic Programming being your neurology. Now, your neurology, that the senses that we use, are what is really the language of the mind. And that's what's going to uh, help your mind to decipher and also give you labels for the experience that you're experiencing. So your neurology, of course, as I said, is, it's your sight, it's your sound, it's your hearing, it's your taste. Um, it's all of those things that you've got and you're hit with a whole heap of information 
that you have to decipher, you have to label, you have to decide what's going to be what. So let's, let's leave the neurology part right there. How are we interpreting the external world through our five senses? That's, that's neurology. Linguistics. I love linguistics. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's over 7,000 languages on the planet. And you've got to think, how many, how many labels do you have to label an experience? And so uh, for, for your listeners, if it's safe, write this down. Uh, for your watchers, if, if you're watching this, write this down as well. The words we use, they don't explain the experience that we've had. They describe the experience we're having. And I think that's a really important thing. I uh, believe that a lot of people believe that the world is happening to them and that events are happening to them. And um, if we've got time later on, I'll share a story with you about language and why having a good vocabulary and multiple ways to explain things will actually change the way that you enjoy life right now. And then finally, the P in NLP stands for programming. Now, programming meaning that we've been indoctrinated into the world that we live in right now. And we have picked up unconscious programs, bad habits. We've picked up things from the media. We've picked up things from social media. We've picked up things from our friends, our family. We do sometimes, I wonder if anybody who is listening to this right now, I wonder if you've got a habit that you know you do and you wish you didn't do. And if you could eliminate that behavior or you could replace that behavior with something that was more empowering, would that be powerful? And so programming is the acknowledgement that we run programs, that we run specific strategies. And so that's sort of like an all-encompassing overview of, of NLP, what NLP stands for. And some people that use NLP in the public world, uh, of course, we've got the giants like Tony Robbins, Oprah Winfrey, Barack Obama, Warren Buffett, Russell Brand. Um, you know, up very most recently uh, with even um, the work that Conor McGregor has been doing with Tony Robbins about changing his... Uh, his persona, uh, upgrading his ego, upgrading his, uh, the way that he shows up in the octagon. Uh, and I feel like, especially in more recent times, it's becoming more of the way that people know how to move forward uh, because NLP really, if we take away all the jargon, it, it's how do you compress time and be successful? That's really what NLP is. Yeah, really powerful, man. Thank you for um, explaining all of that, you know, very simply and, um, yeah, and I want to just add on that last point that you said about compressing time. Like, I think some of this stuff we know to an extent because we've heard it in certain areas. But once you like you do the NLP like prac training, it's sort of like oh, okay, there's all these models behind it and all these things, and you can sort of connect the dots with things and understand why we do things and everything like that. And it becomes really powerful as a model um, to help ourselves rescript ourselves, but also to help others around us, right? Which is really powerful there and. Um, if, if we go a little bit more into the neuro part where you were talking about, obviously we get information in, you know, into our senses and things like that. And our, our brain obviously filters out most of the information we receive. Right. Um, so maybe explain more about the process and, and like the numbers behind this as well. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there's been a, a wild amount of studies done on this and uh, what we agree on in the scientific world is that you are hit with 11 million bits of information per second which is an astronomical number. And as technology has gotten better, we actually know that it's far greater than 11 million. But if you go back through and you read the original sort of literatures and the papers and that sort of stuff, they were saying around 11 million. And you might be thinking to yourself, holy smokes, that is a lot. And it is. And that's exactly everything that the unconscious mind is aware of at all times. And so let me give you an example of that. You might not have been aware right now where potentially maybe your tongue was in your mouth until I ask you, hey, where's your tongue in your mouth? You might not have been thinking about breathing, yet you were breathing. You might not have been aware of the weight of the fabric of your T-shirts or maybe your chair, uh, maybe you're back against the chair right now until I bring it into your awareness. Now, these are all things that the unconscious mind is aware of all the time. Now, the conscious mind, you guys are going to love this, 11 million bits of information is coming into your unconscious mind. Conscious mind only takes in 128 bits, 11 million down to 128. Now, how do, we, how do we compress that? Like, how do we get that into our conscious mind? It goes through a three-step process. It's called delete, distort, and generalize. And if you're listening to uh, you know, Ethan's podcast, uh, that means I know that you are into personal development. You've probably heard of your reticulated activating system, your RAS. 
Now, RAS is going to help you understand or help you uh, focus on what it is that you need to focus on. Sort of like I just did for you guys a moment ago when I mentioned, hey, where's your tongue? What about the fabric on your, your back? What about your back against the back of the chair? And, and so it's not until it gets brought into your conscious awareness that you're aware of it. And so that's a massive thing to think about, that we've got this um, smorgasbord, if you will. Like we've got so much variety. We've got so many opportunities to live a life of, and I say a life that is uh, fulfilled, but like really an enriched life, 11 million possibilities streaming into our conscious mind. And we can only have 128 bits. Now, what you might be thinking, you know, how big is 128 bits? It's about seven chunks of information. So you might be aware of maybe say seven things at any one time. It could be five, could be seven, could be a little bit more, but the, the, the most, for most people, it's around seven chunks of information that totals up that 128 bits. So you've really got to appreciate what it is that the unconscious mind is doing for you. And you really must appreciate what my five senses are doing because they are the channels that are bringing in the information. They are like the antennas that are bringing the information in, into your mega computer, which is your mind. And then your mega computer is compressing that, diluting that. It's deleting things, it's distorting things, and it is generalizing things. So it makes sense in your model of the world. Because listen, I know Ethan's got hundreds of listeners. As, they, as you guys listen to, to this now, there's hundreds of different versions of this podcast going out because you're going to delete, you're going to distort, and you're going to generalize to suit your model of the world, which is those 128 bits or those seven chunks of information. I don't want to go too deep on this. I feel like this is a massive topic within itself. Um, uh, where, how, how do you feel about this, Ethan? Like, where, where would you like to go from here? Do you want to go a bit further or are we cool where we're at? Uh yeah, that's awesome. Um, really, really powerful, right, for, for everyone to understand that. And let, let's, um, let me just add a little bit to that, right? So obviously, we've got the different bits of information. And there's this thing called like the scotoma, right, where it's like, you, you see something, it's, uh, I like the way you mentioned, it. it's like the man look, it's like you go to, you know, the cupboard, and you're like, Oh, where's the salt? Or where's this? And then you can't find it. And you're like, Oh, I can't find it. Where, where's the salt? And then, and then your partner comes on, and go, it's right there. What are you talking about? Right? And it's like right in front of you, but your brain has deleted it, right? Because it's not important um, in there. So it's very interesting how that works. Um, and you know, maybe talking a little bit about that. And also maybe if we go a little bit deeper on it is are there ways to increase our 128 bits of information maybe like that as well? Oh, dude, what a, what a question. Are there ways to increase your 128 bits? Let's start with that and then I'll swing back to the deletion of things like the salt or the Vegemite or the things that you're looking for that, you know, isn't it crazy that sometimes the answer is right there in front of you and you never see it, yet at the same time, it's always been there. And this is a crazy thing for people to have a breakthrough moment on, have an epiphany on that. Hey, I've been searching for this answer. I've got this problem. I feel like I've looked everywhere. And then you know what? I found out it was right there in front of me the whole time. And it's a crazy experience, right? Um, where were we headed to before that? You were asking about... Um, Increasing... Increasing the 128 bits. Increasing the 128 bits. Increasing the 128 bits comes through this journey of really, um, how do we increase it? I think it comes through this journey of like, um, uh, like upskilling your own knowledge on a, on a particular thing. I don't know if you can ever get like outside of the 128 or if you can be more aware, but the more aware you become, as in like the more you work inside your zone of comfort, and the more knowledgeable you become, and then you allow that comfort zone to expand and expand and expand, that's how you're going to be able to bring in more information. That's how you're really going to be able to start seeing some of these things that maybe you've been deleting over time, and you're going to be more aware of it. Uh, I wonder, and I just want to give you a quick example. I wonder if, um, I wonder if a friend of yours has ever pointed something out to you in a song, and you're like, oh, I've never heard that bit in it before, but now... Maybe, you know how they do the dub overs and stuff? It's like, oh, I, now I can't not hear that thing. Or maybe somebody pointed something out into a movie for you and you're like, ah, oh, now when I watch that movie, all I see is this thing in the background. You were totally unaware of it before, but now that you brought conscious awareness to it, it's like so obvious to you. Sort of like, I wonder when you were, I wonder if you were young enough to remember to learn how to read an analog clock. And like, 
for such the longest period of time, right? The, the analog clock was just on the wall. You'd ask mum and dad, hey, what's the time? They would look at the clock. You would look at the clock and you wouldn't know how to read the clock. But now you know how to read the clock. The clock is always there and you can't not read the clock. Does, does this sort of make sense? You can't, look at the, you can't look at the clock now and not read the time because you know how to do it. And that's the way that you're going to expand. That's the way that you're going to grow. And that's the way that you're going to um, really be able to take in more information as you experience the world, as you experience it. Yeah, really powerful. And I probably want to add one more bit to that, right? It also comes down to our focus, right, Tony? Because if, you know, a good example is if we're going to buy a new car, right? And we're like, hey, I'm going to go buy a new, you know, Mercedes if it's a nice car. It could be whatever car it is, right? As soon as you start thinking about that, all of a sudden you start to see Mercedes everywhere on the road, right? But huge. They were always yeah. there, weren't they? That, that's your rads working for you. I mean, I've heard so many stories like this. They're driving down the road in their bomb car. Hey, oh, this, this beautiful red car looks amazing. I'd love to buy myself one of those. I've never seen it before. It looks interesting. And then it's like, by the time you get home, you're like, man, they are everywhere. But you're right. Like, if those cars are representative of the information or the answers in life that we're seeking, it's always there. It's not until we bring conscious awareness to it that we just notice how, how surrounded by it we are which is, um, I trust these examples. Like we've given like a few examples. I trust these examples of like the clock in the car and the Vegemite and the salt sort of really, really, um, are really sticking for people. And they're like, oh yeah, you know what? I have had that experience. Like um, that's a huge thing to think about because there is so much in the unknown. Like you're only known to those seven chunks. Like you're only known to those 128 bits, which means there's 11 million bits out there that you need to, uh, are the unknown. And this is really important. All your greatest gifts are in the unknown. And all your greatest gifts are outside your comfort zone. Think of like what your comfort zone is. Like if you think of your conscious mind, if you think of the things that you know, they're just things that are familiar to you. The things that are outside your comfort zone, they're just things that are unfamiliar to you. So your comfort zone is a zone of known problems that you know how to solve. Your, your being outside your comfort zone are unfamiliar problems that you're not sure on how to solve. Now, I want to draw your attention to one commonality. There's problems both sides of the equation. So why not just solve high-quality problems? Why not just solve problems that you're unfamiliar with and become, you know, I don't really necessarily want to use the word conscious right now, but become more equipped, become more skilled, become... Um, more the best version of you because you're expanding what like you're expanding your knowledge and that's like if you want to know the definition of growth that's the definition of growth go out there and find high quality problems you don't know how to solve and solve them yeah i love that tony so powerful um and it's like you know you keep upgrading your layers right of this thing and you just you know on that journey of growth right and it's it's really powerful um when you do that and um yeah it's and I think when you focus on these areas, it's like, I think a great lens, like you talk about, Tony, when we talk about lenses, like an NLP is like having the lens of curiosity, right? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. curiosity is sort of that thing that goes, okay, that's a bit interesting. How can we like delve into that a little bit further and then bring that into our awareness, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a big thing. I don't know if you've thought about it or not. And I sort of mentioned it before, but for every person who listens to this podcast right now, there's a different version of this podcast. There's a different version of memories and associated feelings that are going to come from this podcast. Some people are going to love it. Some people are going to listen to it and be like, you know what? I didn't really get that. Or that doesn't really gel with me. Some people will be like, listen for five minutes and be like, wow, this 20 guys is an absolute tool. I don't like it. Uh, I'm going to have to wait for, you know, Ethan's next podcast where he gets like a decent guest in, right? And um, <laughs> I mean, hopefully not, but, but potentially, right? Um, We've got to be aware of my massive mind blank. What were we talking about before I got onto that? We're going about curiosity and about all the uh, different versions of reality of everybody. Yeah. We've got to get curious about where, thank you. I appreciate that. I was, I was in my head, I was thinking about perspectives and I, that's what I wanted to bring your attention to is that every person who watches or listens to this is going to bring a different perspective to it. And so whether maybe you're in the coaching space, maybe you're in a leadership role, maybe you're in business and you have employees and you might be just tearing your hair out sometimes thinking, geez, like these guys, they just don't get it. But if we come through this lens of curiosity, if we come through this lens of how did this person construct this perspective 
of me, my business, my service, um, the things that I do and how I do them, then is there some truth in there? Now, look, the, the thing is there's probably some untruth in there, but also what are the truths that are in there for you to like accept and grow upon? And I think that's a really interesting point that you bring up like this, this lens of curiosity because the more curious we can get about how people form those beliefs, how people live by those values, how people um, react when they're put into particular situations, how do they get to the point of making a decision that this is the behaviour that I should produce to get some sort of outcome or to get some sort of result? And I think that's, I think that's amazing. Rather than like butting heads with people, rather than yelling at people and telling them they're wrong, rather than trying to, you know, drag the horse to water and make a drink, why not get really curious about it? Be like, you know what, I'm super fascinated how you felt in this moment this was the right thing to do. Talk me through it. How did it happen? What were the things that led up to that thing? Holy smokes, could it have been different if? And you start coming through this what if lens, this curiosity lens. It's an amazing thing, mate. It's an amazing thing. Life is just... Life is for everybody just a series of different perspectives. And um, I trust that lands with everybody that hears it. It's yeah. big. Love that, Tony. Very powerful. And um, what, what that sort of came up for me as well as part of your trainings is the lovely NLP thing about the map is not the territory, right? Um, and um, yeah, I'll, I'll let you quickly explain that easily because I know you do probably a better job than what I would on that. I don't know, mate. You're a, you're an NLP master practitioner. <laughs> hey, you you've got the skills. You know what's going on. The the, the map is not the territory. Um, uh, was popularized in like 1930s, 1940s, and then and a, a different version of the map is not the territory. Is um, the menu is not the meal, and this might be a, a better example for people to get their head around that if you were ordering the meal, like if you were ordering the territory, you would be seeing the meal and you'd be ordering the meal, but we don't order the meal. We use a menu to order the thing that we want. Now, no matter how somebody explains an event to you, that event is always going to be deleted, distorted and generalized. It's always going to be a map of what actually happened. It's not going to be the event itself. And so this is why we can get curious about things because your version of that delete, distort and generalize is going to be different to mine. And this is why I was saying a moment ago, there's going to be some truths to some things and there's going to be some untruths to some things. And so depending on who you are and how you construct reality, because we are at cause to how we construct reality. Remember before I mentioned the words we use don't explain our experience, they determine our experience. So if we're using all these words, we're deleting, we're distorting, and we're generalizing, and then we're explaining something to somebody else, you can already see how muddy this is to suit your version of reality. And so everybody is operating from this map that is trying to get them to where they want to go. The thing is, we're never going to you're never going to be um, able to explain the territory itself. Like you might be able to explain, or you might be able to give me a map of Melbourne or Sydney or Brisbane, but unless I'm there and I'm in it, it's never going to be the real deal. Even though a map will, you know, overlap it, you can pretty well find yourself around. Trust, this is making sense, right? Yeah, definitely. Really powerful. And, and just basically the way I understand it as well for everyone is that everyone has a different map, right? In their mind, the way they see the world. So it's understanding, okay, well, how can I get a better understanding of the way that they see the world, right? And it mm -hmm. comes down to the questions we ask, right? So that, and in NLP, like, you know, with Tony's trainings and that is it, it teaches us the types of questions we can ask so that we get to understand their model of the world. And then mm -hmm. we can help people once we get that understanding, we can help people to shift at the same time to get to that next level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I want to tie back in. Cause I think this is perfect. I want to tie back in this lens of curiosity. So if you're in the coaching space, if you're in the consulting space, if you're a leader, if you're a mom, if you're a dad and somebody in your life does something crazy and I say crazy, but like something that you just, you're like, wow, how did you get to that decision? Like, whoa, how did you decide to do that thing? And you, you know, maybe in the past, maybe you've flown off the handle or maybe you've been and said, like, I told you a thousand times, like not to do this. I wonder what would change if you were like, okay, cool. They're operating from their model of the world. They've decided to create this behavior or do this behavior. How do I alter that? How do I communicate in a way in which I can change that person's behavior? And if you think you're a good communicator, here's a really nice measure. You can measure your communication by the behavior that you create in others. 
So if you're asking people to do things and they're not getting it done, then it's not that they're not getting it done because they don't understand. Maybe they don't understand because you're not communicating yourself like clearly enough. And so you've got this model of the world that people are operating from exactly as Ethan said, you come in with some curiosity on that and you start to learn using NLP techniques, using questioning models, learning ways to navigate. And I, like, I call it like searching the, mate, the map or scratching the map. And you start figuring out ways to uh, communicate to that person. So they accept your suggestions. They, they accept your, um, yeah, I would say suggestions or your guidance or your leadership unacritically. And now that's a really powerful thing. I wonder if you've got somebody in your life that, you know, if they said, go do this thing, you just go do it. Imagine being able to pull apart people's personalities so you could always frame to whoever you're speaking to in a way in which they heard you. Now, if, if there's ladies listening right now, you get it. If there's men listening right now, like husbands, you're getting it as well, right? Um, ladies sometimes feel like they are being listened to but not heard. It's like whatever I say just falls on my husband's ears, but they're deaf ears. He never understands what I'm talking about. This is the power of NLP. Imagine being able to say something and not just have it be said and nobody understand what you're saying, but actually be said and be heard. And um, this all comes back to, you know, the map is not the territory. This all comes back to coming through the lens of curiosity. This all comes back to being a flexible, being a flexible communicator so you can get your point across and create behaviours in others that you want to see that's going to help them be successful. That's going to help them be the best version of themselves. And I think that's a really important point to make as well. Like everything we do is to help somebody be the best version of themselves. Yeah, I love that. And this really segues in uh, really well to sensory acuity, right? Like how we observe other people because it's not just the words that they use, right? In, in, in that. So, um, you know, how can you just like, elaborate more on like what we observe and, and, and like, I guess how we can, how that can help us as well. Yeah. There, there was a massive study done in the, uh, the U S at one of the, the big colleges. I uh, forget the name of the college right now. It evades me, but they, they came down with this, this breakdown of communication. And it was that 93 of our 93% of our communication is done non-verbal, which is a huge thing. So we've got 7% of the words that we use attribute to the communication that somebody else is receiving. We've got 38% tonality. So the way in which we deliver the words and the tone that we're using will have an unconscious impact on a person and how they perceive that message or how they receive that message. And then finally, we've got 55% physiology, the way that we hold our body, the way that uh, we use our gestures, the way that we, um, you know, the way that we look, all these things. And so when we're talking about sensory acuity, the first thing we need to be aware of is that firstly, those statistics, how important are the words that we're using in a world of one percenters? Um, I would say pretty important. I know you might've just heard me say, hey, it's only 7%, but 7% on probably the most important thing as a human you will ever, you will ever use. I don't know if you've ever thought about the power of your words, but we're the only species on the planet that communicate using words. Words are the only way you can explain to somebody else how to do something. And no matter what language you speak, we use words to direct and control animals. That's a massive thing. I feel like that's a massive field that you probably want to get more into. And then what complements that? Your tonality, right? What sort of tonality are you using? How are you delivering it? For what purpose are you delivering it? And then finally, the way that you hold yourself is going to have a massive effect on the way that you uh, put out your communication. Now, Ethan's speaking about uh, sensory acuity. What do we need to be sensorily uh, acute to or do we need to be tuned into, right? What words are people using? How, what words are somebody using to describe their experience? Number two, in which way are they sharing that with us with their tonality? Is it something that they're really excited about or is it something that they're really excited about? Or is this something that I'm really excited about? And you can notice I'm using three different tonalities and they're probably hitting you on three different levels right now. And then also, in which way um, are they delivering it to you? Are they delivering it with a smile? Are they delivering it with a frown? Are they delivering it with their shoulders uh, slumped forward? Are they delivering it with their chest out and proud? And these are all things that you are going to be um, giving off as communication cues to people that you're speaking with. And this is why people are either going to say to you, hey, that was a, you know, I really love what you had to say, but can you deliver it with some more passion? 
Well, how do you deliver it with more passion? You've got to tweak some levers in the background. Uh, or it might be like, you know what? <clears throat> I'm not really sure what happened right now, but the way that you spoke to me and the way that you delivered it, I just, I felt, felt like that was really powerful. And so that's something to be aware of as like a, as a study, that's something to be aware of as like how you're showing up in the planet. And that's something to be aware of, of how others are showing up. Now, here's the kicker when it comes to sensory acuity. Sensory acuity basically just means what it is that we're observing. Now, the thing is, when we observe something as a human, we like to assign a meaning to it. We like to assign a meaning to it. Now, this is going to get a little deep. So hang with me as we get into this. You might see somebody wearing a smile. And because they're wearing a smile, you assign that that person is happy, right? The thing is, we can wear a smile and not necessarily be happy. Look at Robin Williams. So why not get curious about what that person's smiling about? Why not get curious about why is that person wearing a smile? And I wonder if you've ever put on a brave face. I wonder if you've ever worn a smile so nobody could see how hurt you are. Now, these are, this, is what, this is what I get curious about when I'm coaching people. You know, what's their body language really showing me? And not what is it that I'm assigning to them, but what is it that they are doing and, and what meaning am I applying to it? And how do I check in that those meanings are correct? Hey, like I see that you're really excited right now. I see your arms flailing around. Are you pumped right now? Or like, how are you feeling? Right? Or hey, like I, you know, I sort of noticed that your shoulders are over a little bit right now. Um, just want to check in, like you're doing okay? And they might say to you, yeah, no, like I'm doing great. They could just be a softly spoken person. Yeah, no, I couldn't be happier. But my mind read or my sensory acuity, the labels that I'm using to explain their model of the world is, well, that person is frowning. That means they're sad. You can frown and not be sad. You can smile and be like suicidally depressed. Sort of makes sense? Yeah. Very no, I told you it was going to get deep. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all good, man. This is what it's all about. The deep is where uh, the gold is, right? And let's go a little bit more complimentary to that, right? Because you were talking about the words and everything that we use, right? And I know that... Um, you know, the biggest thing is our repre representational system, right? And we have preferences on these, right? And those words are, are linked, right? Into how we do and how we understand people and we can do it from words. It's also eye movements, which is very interesting to me as well um, in that way. So it's not just words, but the words are the most powerful thing because that's how we communicate as well to the other person. So yeah. let everyone know a little bit more about the four of them and, and, and how they can help us. Cool. Let's, let's car park eye patterns. Cause I don't want to disadvantage the guys that are on the podcast. Like, Oh man, I can't see where, I can't see where Tony's eyes are going. I can't see where Adam's eyes are going. This is, this is rubbish, right? Uh, let, let's talk about those predicates or those, those learning systems that we have. And you're absolutely right in saying that we have uh, a visual learning system and some of us like that we learn visually. Some of us, we learn auditorily. Like we, you know, podcast listeners right now, you're probably an auditory listener. You like listening to music, you probably enjoy, uh, and you probably pick up on more tones than, you know, maybe somebody that who's visual. Uh, we've got your kinesthetics, and these guys uh, are generally, you know, <clears throat> just let me have a go at it. And once I have a go at it and I, I get, get my hands on it, I can really grasp it, I'll be able to sort of kick on with it, be able to get it done. And then finally, we have like our, our AD. So AD meaning like our audio digital um, or our ordinals, which sort of just means these are the guys that talk to themselves. You probably describe them right now. If you're not familiar with NLP, you probably just go, well, that dude's really in his head. And that's somebody who, who is AD. So I'd love to give you a little example of all of these and then maybe an example of how we can use this, right? Let's start with visual. If somebody's a visual speaker, like somebody who's talking to you visually, what are some of the things that they might be saying to you? They potentially might be saying, hey, um, can you, can you sort of show me the bigger picture on things? I'd really love to be able to see what's going on right now. So I can understand like what the vision looks like moving forward. And so I've used some key words there. I've used, you know, vision, I've used bigger picture. I've used the word see. these for me are all visual cues, which means that this person potentially wants me to draw them a picture of what this thing's going to look like moving forward. Right. And I trust this is making sense. If we were to move into the auditory side of things, you might say to somebody uh, or somebody might say to me, hey, Tony, I really want you to listen up because I've got something that's super important that I want you to tune into. So pay attention right now. Hear what I'm saying. Notice that these are all auditory cues. These are all uh, hearing cues. These are all things that are going to catch my attention if I'm somebody who is auditorily attuned to what's going on. 
if we were to talk kinesthetics, right? Um, first things first, like kinesthetics um, uh, are feelings, right? So we, we've got both like the, the tactile, but also the proprioceptive. So uh, tactile being like how something feel, proprioceptive being like what are the like what are the feelings that we actually have? Like if I said to you, like what would you feel about Ethan? You might say, oh yeah, Ethan's a great guy. Or what do you feel about me? Well, Tony's a cool guy. Like you know, these things are, are amazing. And in kinesthetics, they generally talk a little slower. And why is that? Because they're trying to get a really good feel for what's going on. They're really just trying to get a good sense for what's happening. If I was to talk to you in a kinesthetic, I'd probably be saying to you, hey, um, could you slow it down for me? Because I'd really like to be able to get a good handle on what's happening. So I can really grasp the conversation that we're having. And I can just get a sense of how that's going to unfold for me and the way that's going to make me feel moving forward. Right, And so you've heard me speak in three of the four different predicates right now. An AD person, like I said before, is somebody who is primarily in their head. Now, what are they, what are they doing in their head? Well, oh, man, they're just talking to themselves. As humans, we like to be right. So we will make a judgment and then we'll spend time justifying that judgment to ourselves. Now, ADs, they are... They love having, a, uh, they love having a, uh, a checklist. They love talking to themselves about what's going on and how it's going to happen. And that's why that person's going to show up um, in the world as somebody who's in their head. But what's some key takeaways of an AD person? Like definitely lists. Like AD people definitely love lists. AD people generally like structure. They really like to know the sequence of things and how it's going to happen. So if I was to deliver something to somebody, say in the office space in my business um, or at a training, and uh, I saw somebody that was sitting there maybe taking some notes and like really nodding or maybe looking at their paper and nodding, there's a good chance that they're either listening to me and repeating back what they're saying in their own head, in their own tone of voice, so it makes more sense to them. They're probably thinking of some sort of sequential way that they can order things so they can sort of just tick it off the list. They want to know the step-by-step. And these are all things, guys, these are all things that we can pick up just in the way that people talk to us. Who, who in your office, who in your life, who in your business um, is always walking around with a checklist? Who's always trying to strategize? Who's always trying to come up with different ways of getting things done and then putting like a, an ordered program or an ordered sequence together for it? They're probably AD. Talk to them in the way that they want to be spoken to. Who's always saying, hey, like, let's get a consensus on things. Let's just sort of see what this office feels about this or this department feels about it or how's that person going to feel when we deliver that thing to them? They're probably going to be kinesthetic. Who's always sending you a damn voice clip on, on Messenger or WhatsApp or Voxer or whatever your means of medium is, right? Uh, and, and who loves listening to music in the, in the car or in the office? And they can have the music blaring and they can still be concentrating on what it is that they're doing in the office. They're probably auditory. And who really likes um, having a, a big picture idea of the project? Who really likes having an eagle view over like what everyone's doing? Who's nosy? Who's a fast talking sort of like just want to get a grasp on everything? And it's probably going to be a visual. So I run through these four. You might sort of be thinking to yourself now, like, oh my gosh, like I sort of bounce between all four. Um, but you know what? If I had to choose, I'm probably more visual. I'm probably more auditory. I'm probably more kinesthetic. I'm probably more AD. Um, that's not to say, and that's not to exclude that you won't access other predicates and in fact i suggest that you do now here's why if you were just visual right and you went for a walk through the forest and you were only visual then you're going to miss out on everything that the auditories the kinesthetics and the ad's have to experience if you went down the forest and you were only visual and uh, auditory then you're going to miss out on all the feelings you're going to miss out on all the things that you might be able to say to yourself about that that walk through that forest and so the more senses that we can tap into the, the the greater or the more enriched our experience of the world will be i'm going to say that again the more of the senses that you can tap into think of it right i don't know if you've got little kids in your life i've got little kids i've got noah who's like five and Bodhi who's like three and uh, they all went through this stage they both went through this stage Bodhi's sort of still in it at the moment where she eats her food and she hums I don't know if you've got kids and they do that. They sit there, they eat their cereal, they eat their dinner, they eat their lunch, and they're humming while they eat. It's because it's, it's auditorily arousing for them. It enriches their ability to eat food, right? Like, why do you enjoy eating crunchy food? Because you hear the crunch. You're like, oh, I love, I love hearing that crunch. And your taste buds are going crazy while you're looking at the rest of the food that's on the plate. So you're really lighting up all of your senses and you're having this really enriched version of life. Sounds cool. Sounds amazing. 
Very cool, man. That's that was an awesome little segment there to really get people to understand that. And I know there's little tests and stuff that we can do. Obviously, questions we ask ourselves to really determine what our key one is. And and what an interesting one. I'll, I'll play the one about um, you know I'm I've done the test and I'm more ad right myself and surprises me <laughs> uh, surprises you i don't think so uh, a bit of a joke there from tony so um t- tony likes to do jokes just so you know um or you know things like that so the what an interesting thing that i've picked up as an example is that i can't have music that has words in it while i'm working and like my partner right? My fiance, she likes to have music with words in it. So if we're working in the same area, I can't concentrate. Like if I'm just doing some sort of looking at data, I can, but if I have to write things like writing emails or doing other stuff, I can't do it because I've got, I've got to think about it in my head. Right. So this is an interesting dynamic in the office. If someone wants to have music on in the background, right. And stuff like that. If you've got AD people around you, they might not be able to concentrate that well, depending on the task. Right. So that's a realization I had, but it's really powerful. Right. Yeah, it's a, it is a powerful realization, and it's a big thing. Like, um, you might be thinking, like, if if you're uh, your fiance, you might be thinking, you know what, guys, I'm going to help everybody work, and I'm going to turn the music up loud. And then you've got this poor AD guy in his office being like, ah, I can't not hear the words that are going on. I can't hear myself think. I don't know what to type. Absolutely, yeah. People, um, I love people. People are so interesting. They are. That's why I have instrumental music that helps me um, to do what I want to do if I want to have music on. That's the happy medium with that, that we work with if we're in the same area. So you guys uh, work out what works best for you. Um, so you touched on it earlier as well. And, and I want to just let's put it under this frame of, of cause and effect, right? Of, you know, about we are, you know, the things that, that create what we do, right? Um, so maybe explain the differences to people so they understand it more simply and why we should be living more at cause. Oh, dude, I love this. So yeah, yeah I was just, I'm just scratching for, for you guys on podcast. I was just scratching my beard like, Oh gosh, this is so juicy. So let's talk about cause and effect. Let's talk about what empowerment really is. And I did mention earlier, I mentioned that you're at the scene of every crime in your life. You're at the scene of every crime in your life. Now, isn't it interesting that the only thing that's man-made or self-made rather, not man-made, but self-made is a millionaire. I'm a self-made millionaire. Like that's something that people say and they say it with pride. But you don't say I'm a self-made failure. You say, well, I was, I was in a great job and my boss fired me and you blame somebody else. Or you say, well, my marriage was, I thought my marriage was great, but then he divorced me or she divorced me or they cheated on me or they did this or they did that. And we start blaming the external world for the circumstance that we find ourselves in. And usually I I would say, you know, a lot of people would struggle to say, well, yeah, my life would be different. And they'll use this word. Oh, my life would be different, but, you know, oh, well, the thing is this would have all worked out, but, Now, as soon as you use the word, but you just negate everything that you've just said. And so I think that's a, a, something that I'd love for everybody to be more aware of, like how you're using, uh, but in your language. Um, and if you're curious about potentially, Hey, what's a different word I could use if I was to substitute the word, but what about, and, or what about, however, you know, even however has probably got a bit of a negative connotation to it, but definitely the word and would be a great one. And so you're at the scene of every, every crime in your life. And the more that we can live at cause, now what does cause really mean? Cause means that you accept that you're the creator of the circumstances that you put yourself into. This is going to be a hard thing for many people to stomach. And um, I'm, I'm excluding, when I say this, I'm excluding like the environmental sort of circumstances like, you know, um, you know, three-year-olds with cancer and this sort of stuff. I'm excluding that, right? But I'm saying as an adult, Uh, as a healthy adult, where we're at in life is exactly where we should be. And we have made a series of decisions to get us to the point to where we're at, either conscious or unconsciously. We are all exactly where we deserve to be. And if somebody is as perceived further along or on a different level to us, they're they're no better or worse than us. If somebody's beneath you, they're no better or worse than you. They've just made a different decision when they were like when they were faced with the same choice or the same opportunity. So in life, statistically speaking, around 80% of people live in effect. Now, what is effect? Effect is 
oh, you know, yeah, my boss fired me, my husband this, my wife that, my workplace this, the weather this. Um, you know, it, it's so fascinating, right? As, as soon as you decide that you're going to do something in your life, it's almost as if the universe tests you. Oh, I would have done that thing, but, and, you know, but it rained, so I never went for that run. I was going to go on that diet, but, but then Karen had, you know, her birthday at the office and I couldn't eat, I could not eat cake, right? And there's always going to be this excuse to why you didn't get things done. And actually talking about excuses, you know, the simplest way of explaining cause and effect is this. You will either have reasons like excuses or you'll have results. If you want to take it to an extreme, that's what it is. You'll either have reasons or you'll have results. You'll either have all the reasons. You'll have this big list of all these things to why you didn't have the life that you want or you didn't have the outcome that you want or you didn't have the promotion that you want or you don't have the business that you don't want because of all these things, the government, you know, the, the stock market, the, the property market, the, my next door neighbor, my boss, whatever it is. Like you have this big list of reasons why you don't have it or you'll have it. And, and like, I appreciate that. It's probably like a little black and white. You might be thinking to yourself, well, Tony, hey, there's some gray area there. There's not. You either did it or you didn't. And, and that's what living at cause is. Cause really is understanding that, yes, you're at the scene of every crime. First things first, it's not about not blaming others and only blaming yourself. I think there's only damage to be done there. If you're hearing this and you say, oh, well, Tony said that I shouldn't blame others for the situation that I find myself in and I'm the creator of my circumstances and where I'm at in life right now, it's not the best place that I want to be and that means that I'm a terrible human and that's not overly beneficial either. So I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, um, I wouldn't point the finger at somebody else and I definitely wouldn't point the finger back at myself. Um, and so you might be curious, well, what would I do? Well, what would I do? Like if, 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 if I'm not to blame from it, what could I do? You could learn. You could learn that some of the, the worst things that ever happened in your life will be your greatest gifts. In those moments where you were down and out, you learned how to grind. You learned grit. You learned tenacity. You learned gumption. You learned what you were made of. You built character within yourself and you got on the other side of that. Now, here's the thing. You can either say, I got knocked down in life and that's why I don't have the, re like that's that, and that's why I don't have the life that I want or I got knocked down in life. And that's exactly the reason why I have the life that I want. And I trust that as I'm saying this, you're going to notice to yourself that the same reason why you won't have the life you want is the same reason why you will have the life you want. It just really depends on how you're going to use that fuel in your life. Are you going to use that fuel in your life to make excuses or are you going to use that fuel in your life to, to actually propel you and accelerate you towards the way that you want to have the life that you want to live? Yeah, that was powerful. Very powerful, Tony. Thank you for, for that. And so amazing to, you know, live as much at cause as possible and be aware of this, right, um, is the key thing. And um, I guess one other key thing as well is about reframing our language, right? Like you mentioned a little bit about like the word, but, and, you know, it negates everything beforehand. And it's also using um, negati negative words, right? Like if someone says, oh, how are you feeling? I'm not bad. Well, the brain doesn't remember the not, it just remembers the bad, right? So that's a simpler thing. It could be like, don't play with matches. What do the kids do? They play with matches, right? So, um, you know, there's, there's loads of little things about don't, we're sort of conditioned in this world to use negative words all the time and, and things like that, or, or like double negatives in a way, but it actually affects us in our mindset and things like that and to, you know, rescript it into a positive way. So you want to maybe talk a little bit more about reframing our language and everything. Mm -hmm. I want to compliment you on some language that I've not heard you use before. Rescript. I love that word. I love it. It's, it's, it's not about, and, and NLP is not about uh, taking away necessarily bad habits. It's about rescripting. We have the, the, the habits that we have. It's not about trying to make something really hard for us to be able to, um, you know, change our eating habits, change our relationship patterns, to change the way that we show up in the world. It's not necessarily about removing all those things. It's about rescripting the way that we deploy those things because you're just running a strategy right now that's not working for you. It's <clears throat> not necessarily that the whole strategy is terrible. It might just be one component of the strategy. And I love, I love this word rescript. I'm going to borrow that in the future. I trust that's okay. Um, I'm definitely going to borrow that in the future. Here's the thing about negations. You sort of just brushed over it. I'm like, dude, this is like a breakthrough moment for a lot of people. And you've said it so casually. 
um, like you said, don't play with matches. Uh, I wonder who remembers being a little kid and mum saying, don't touch the stove. And then you touch the stove. Don't eat that. It's just come straight out of the oven. I wonder if you as an adult now can't not finish a whole bag of biscuits or like Tim Tams or like lollies or something like that. Because when you were a kid, you said, hey, mum, can I have a Tim Tam? And she said, yeah, just don't eat the whole packet. And now as an adult, you just can't help yourself but eat the whole packet. Ethan's absolutely correct. The unconscious mind doesn't process a negation. It's a two-step process in order to process a negation. First, you must accept it. Then you must negate it. And so if you're telling yourself not to do something, don't eat that food, don't eat that food, don't eat that food, don't do this thing, don't do this thing. Don't, I don't want to grow up like my mom. I don't want to grow up like my dad. I don't want to grow up being overweight. And you, you're on this journey of trying to lose weight, but you've kept telling yourself that you don't want to be fat or you don't want to be overweight. And that's exactly what you are. I feel like this is going to be a, a massive moment for so many people. There's been a lot of research done on, um, and by the way, guys, like we're talking about business right now, but I mean, truthfully, what are we talking about? We're truthfully talking about the way that you should be speaking to your children. You know, don't, don't, don't play with matches. Don't touch the stove. Well, how do we say that in a way where we don't have that negation? Can we leave those matches there? Thank you. Hey, be careful. The stove's hot. Make sure that we keep our hands to ourselves. So we're starting to like we're starting to frame things. We're starting to phrase things in a way where we're not putting the negation. We're not using the negation. Um, you know, here in New South Wales, that uh, the, uh, the the police service and the uh, it's the RTA or it used to be called RTA. I think it's RMS now. Uh, they've got like big signs and stuff up, and it used to be like "Don't drink and drive, don't speed." And when they started putting all this stuff out, they had increased cases of people speeding and drinking and driving, right? Like it's a crazy thing because unconsciously you're driving and you're hearing, you know, don't drink and drive, don't speed. Um, if you're a smoker, you'll testify to this right now. You see a quit smoking ad on TV. It says don't smoke cigarettes. And then the first thing you do is you get out there and you smoke a cigarette. And so I want you to think about how the words that I'm using are framing the world that I'm living in. And if I ceased using negations and I started think to myself, how do I frame things in the positive? Well, what's the consequence of that? The consequence of that is that you become solution orientated. You become growth orientated. You, you, you care less for what the problem is and you care more about what the problem isn't. And that's a crazy thing, isn't it? Because most of us believe that we're not where we should be because I've got a thing or I've got a problem. I'm probably going to piss a few people off when I say this. I hope that language is okay, Ethan. I'm sorry. I should have checked with you beforehand. All good. <laughs> Go let that fly. All right. We got it. We got it. Um, oh, mate, how embarrassing. Two mind blanks in one podcast. What were we just talking about? Help me out. Um, you were talking about um, the words that we're using um, about, you know, um, we're talking about reframing it. You were talking about um, helping understanding the way that yeah people do different things um interesting one um my biggest biggest open loop known to man <laughs> potentially potentially the biggest loop open to man um open loops for everyone that while, while tony is thinking is like if you keep something open and people are like wondering what's happening next but you do it on purpose sometimes right and this could be one of those times <laughs> love it um you were talking a lot about the reframing, right? If, if I was going to say one thing on top of that, and this may hopefully spark your, your thing is like, um, if we, we talk about like, I think a big one for kids and you're mentioning about kids, right. And how we show up in life and everything like that is like, don't cross the road. Right. And obviously, you know, that's a big one, right. For kids. It's like a better way of saying this, hold my hand when you cross the road. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's a really positive one to do. So in the way that we show up in life and, and everything like that, how can we do that to help others around us as well? Yeah, don't, don't run, you know, all, all these things. Uh, we we're talking about what's not the problem and that when you, oh, got you, laugh, remember. Most of us are spending so much time trying to solve or find, not necessarily solve, but most of us are very problem-orientated, looking for problems. Knowing the problem doesn't solve it. 
then that's a really powerful thing to get your head around. Oh, I feel like I feel like I'm procrastinating. Like, oh, I don't get anything done. Oh, yeah, now I discovered that I, I procrastinate. Well, just discovering that you procrastinate doesn't solve the problem. And so wouldn't it be so powerful if we could become solution-orientated rather than problem-orientated? What would the world look like? Wow. What would the world look like if we all lived at cause, for starters, meaning, hey, I'm going to take responsibility for me and my results. I'm going to take responsibility. I'm not going to blame anybody else for, for like where I land. I'm just going to put in my best effort every day. And I'm not going to expect that anybody does anything for me. I mean, it's great that they're here to help me, but I'm going to do as much as I can. I'm going to rest on the resources that I have available. That would be massive. And then what would change if we ceased using negations? If we cease saying things like, I can't do that. Or what if you didn't tell your kids that they couldn't do it? It'd be a different world that we would live in just on those two NLP principles. It would be crazy. Absolutely crazy. Definitely. So, you know, whether or not with NLP, right, is whether or not you want to be a coach and you want to help other people, but even just learning NLP as a person, as a parent, even help, even if you don't have kids helping your nieces and nephews or your parents or your family, right? Like it's, it's so powerful, obviously help ourselves first, but then being able to help others, um, you know, in that type of way and um, really powerful. And I think that segues nicely just to maybe let everyone know a little bit more. Obviously there's two levels of NLP certifications, right? That you accredit people with, with the American mm -hmm. NLP board being NLP practitioner and NLP master practitioner that I've been, um, you know, thankful to be taught by you and trained by you in these areas. So do you want to maybe tell everyone a little bit more about them or what they're about? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So like, let's talk about the practitioner training, right? Like as Ethan said, this isn't exclusive to coaches. What, what it is really designed for, it's designed for people who want to uh, up-level in life. It's designed for people who realize that they're not being the best version of themselves and they want to know how to close that gap. And I think, I think for me, that's, that's the biggest identifier. If you're, in a, if you're in a job or a career, if you're in a relationship, if your health or your relationships or your, your finances aren't where you want them to be, then like, the training just sort of becomes a must. Because at the practitioner level, we learn, like Ethan said a couple of times, firstly, how do I communicate with me? How do I start absorbing the world in a way of which it's going to be more beneficial and more empowering to me? We go deep into things like the cause and effect equation, perception is projection. We spoke about the map not being the territory. Um, these are all things that we cover at the practitioner training, building deepened levels of rapport, understanding what sensory acuity is, and also going into different language patterns. So what language patterns can I use in my everyday that are going to have an effect on other people in a positive way? And I think that's a really important thing to think about. So the practitioner training, it's about how do you upgrade you? How do you upgrade those programs that were being unconsciously inserted with, well, that, that, that software that we've been unconsciously downloading our whole lives? How do we undo some of that? And to borrow Ethan's word, how do we re-script some of our story? Because here's the truth. The only thing that's holding us back is our story. There is no... There is no future and there was no past. You as a person are not your successes and you're not your failures. And so that's the stuff that we get deep into at the practitioner training, understanding you as a person, how you show up in the world and how you can upgrade your results in a compressed amount of time. That's all practitioner training. By the way, that's only about 25% of the work that NLP has to offer. The second training, which Ethan's uh, spoken about, is the master practitioner training. Now, the master practitioner training, firstly, you come to practitioner training, you become addicted, right? And this is why NLP and everybody that comes and works with me, they're like, oh, no, do Tony's thing. You're joining the cult. You're, you're doing all these things, right? Uh, I'm going to own it. it. It is. It becomes highly addictive because you start seeing all these things that you have deleted, disordered, and generalized over life, and then you start putting them into action. And you can start using your language. You can start using your skills. You can start using your techniques. Here's the kicker, with volition. Like you already know how to live, but what if I could share with you some tools and techniques in ways in which you could deploy them with volition and get the result that you wanted? That would be massive. That's all practitioner training. Second training is the master practitioner training. It's where we take one step back and we go, okay, cool. At PRAC, we did all these things together. You made all these upgrades and modifications and rescripts to yourself as a person. 
How can I help you do that with other people? And how can you do that with groups of people? So if you're somebody who's interested in learning how to become a speaker or facilitator, if you're somebody who's interested in understanding the planet on a global level, if you're, un if you're interested in understanding more about this whole lens of curiosity and thinking to yourself like, well, what do you mean map, map is not the territory and there's all these series of different perspectives? That's what we go deep into at the Master Practitioner Training. We get deep into relationships. We get deep into the way that people show up in the planet. Um, and I'm going to open a can of worms here. We also dive, you know, yeah, I say eighth and smiling, right? We go deep into a topic called spiral dynamics. Uh, and spiral dynamics is, is a model um, that comes to us from the US, um, from the, uh, the, um, the, the National Spiral Center with uh, the guys there, uh, Don Beck and Christopher Cohen. And it's, it's a model that is based on how the, um, how do I want to say this, how the human psyche and how the human ego evolves over time. And so if you're interested in becoming like seriously, like the best version of you, the person you are today has gotten you to where you are today. It will not be the same person that's going to get you to where you want to be. And would it be powerful if there was a study of all the people on the planet over the last, I don't know, thousands of years that we've been here, and if there was a direction to the way that we experience the world and the way that the psyche developed so you could become the best version of yourself. And that's really what Spirodynamics is in a, a little bit of a nutshell there. And so, yeah, the Master Practitioner Training I mean, it's for everybody who wants to really become the best version of them, um, make the upgrades, make the modifications, make the rescripts, know and learn how to do it for others so you can create breakthrough. Like, you know, the coaching industry sometimes gets a little bit of a bad name and the reason it does is because it's an unregulated space and uh, you listening to this now could tomorrow decide, well, I'm going to be a coach and you could just put coach in front of your name and be like, I'm coach so-and-so. And so... There's not a high, not, I shouldn't say there's not a high standard. There's not a, a, a governing body or a regulation out there to say, well, this is, what like, this is what coaching really is. And it's why it's important that you must learn from the best. It's why you have to come and do the practitioner training with me so you can learn the skills and you can learn the techniques in its purest form and its most traditional form. Um, so it, it, it is um, of the highest standard available. And uh, Aether mentioned before, I, I certify through the ABNLP which is the American Board of Neurolinguistic Programming. They're, they're one of the oldest boards on the planet. They're also one of the most well-respected boards and they're also one of the most up-to-date boards. Uh, they're constantly updating, they're constantly innovating. And I, I feel like when it came to me choosing who do I certify through, like who do I share these skills with and, and who do I put my name to, it had to be them because a lot of the other boards have got a, a manuscript from, you know, 80s or 70s and this is what it is it hasn't been touched since i just think to myself you know what that's not what nlp is about like nlp and why you'll come and do nlp is because you're somebody who's interested in constant and forever growth you you're somebody who knows that you've got more in you you're somebody who's hungry for success you're somebody who likes helping people help people and if any of those four things I've just said resonates with you, then we need to connect and you need to become NLP certified. We need to rock out for five days or 20 days, depending on what you want to do. And we need to, you know, help you close that gap. Be amazing. Oh, wow, Tony. That was just, that was a powerful segment there of like, you know, the most condensed version of how powerful NLP is. So um, yeah, amazing, Tony. I love that. So, you know, we, uh, connected through our network. So I learned about your awesome journey from starting as a baker, you know, over 15 years ago to building your bakery to, you know, multiple seven figures. And then you found your calling with NLP and, and have become one of Australia's leading NLP trainers or the leading NLP trainer and coach as well. Right. And, um, you know, you've worked hard on up upgrading and rescripting as we like to call it your mindset and the mindset of everyone you help as well which is really important and um you know you're just an awesome guy as well right um and they're like that you know from from newcastle initially which is you know a couple of hours north of sydney and i'm sure you know you'll continue to grow and help many more people from around the world as you are at this moment and you know i'm very grateful that we connected that, you know, better able to learn NLP from you as well. And, you know, I look forward uh, to working with you in the future as well. So thank you so much for your time today, Tony. I'm sure many people have uh, greatly benefited 
from your wisdom. So how can people find you and get in contact with you? Mate, I'm, I'm going to say like the, the best way to find me is literally Facebook. If you look me up on Facebook, uh, if it's on the audio right now, it's Tony K. So T-O-N-Y-K-A-Y-E. Uh, I've got like a sweet sort of like yellow and orange profile picture. So you'll know that's me and it's got NLP everywhere. So you won't get confused. Uh, reach out to me on Facebook, shoot me a PM, say, hey, I heard the podcast with Ethan, absolutely loved it. And, and guys, um, reach out even just for the conversation. I uh, have a big value around transparency and I try my best to make myself as accessible to as many people as I can. Um, it's a bit of a downfall of mine that I'm so generous with my time. Uh, some people are like, Tony, you, you got to tighten up. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. And I'm like, you know what? Like if people hadn't spent the time to have conversations with me and connect and have a coffee or do a Zoom call or something like that, um, then I wouldn't be where I am today. So I'm very passionate about transparency and sort of paying it forward. So yeah, feel free to reach out. Um, if you want to go generic, you can just www.tonykaye.com.au and we can connect you know, via my website and that sort of stuff. But be casual, be cool. Reach out to me on Facebook. Kick on from there. Love it, mate. So powerful. So, um, yeah, and, and Tony is amazing, guys. And, yeah, definitely connect with him. He's very generous with his time and everything that he does, as he said. So, um, you know, thank you, everyone, for watching and listening to this show where we talk about everything on business growth. Please like, subscribe, and leave us a five-star review. You can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube as Ethan Cassiotis. Or visit my website, ethancassiotis.com. I completely agree with you. Or do I? The only way you know is if you tune in next time. So until next time, remember that our business grows when we learn skills and take action using them in spite of fear. Have a great day.